Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Thank you so much. And we're grateful that you're here tonight, and we want you to take the Scripture and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. We have Brother Daniel here tonight, a pastor in the area who has the night off, and it's always good to have pastors. We had one as our guest this morning. We're glad that this one is with us tonight. He was also wanting to hear Eddie Calvin sing, and uh, uh, we don't use Eddie much because he's a low-down troublemaker. (laughs) No, that's not true. It's a lot easier to talk the walk than it is to walk the talk. We're pretty good at talking. In fact, we're excellent at talking. We know how to talk the talk. We know how to say the right things. But like somebody said, we have too many talky-talky Christians and not nearly enough walky-walky Christians. Today, more than ever, Somehow, we must get belief and behavior to match up. There's no doubt we believe right, because we believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. We know truth. But there's a big gap sometimes between believing right and acting right. I listened intently to a lady in Oklahoma, share a testimony with tear-filled eyes. She told about taking a young boy who was crippled and deformed and could not walk into her home and into her heart. Though they said this boy would never walk, she refused to believe that, and she found surgeons who would operate on him at no cost, and he had multiple surgeries, and then years of therapy, and she spent hours and hours, weeks and months and years teaching this boy how to walk. One day, he walked. Then, through tear-filled eyes, she said, I wish that I could tell you that he became a surgeon, or a minister, or an educator. But he didn't. In fact, he is behind bars today. He committed a crime so terrible that I, I wouldn't even mention it to you. And then here's what she said. She said, I gave my life to teaching him how to walk, but I didn't teach him where to walk. I helped him physically, but I left out the spiritual. We need to understand this thing about walking the Christian life because over and over in the Bible, the Christian life is called a walk. It is a a way of life. It is a walk that is to be daily, to be consistent. 
Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk, there is the word, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now how are you to walk? With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk, as you know, is one of Paul's favorite metaphors. He used it over and, and over again. In that fifth chapter, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 8, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light over and over. He says, walk worthy of your calling. Walk not as the Gentiles walk. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk not as fools, but as wise. Use this terminology, walk. Notice he begins by saying, I Therefore, now anytime you find a therefore in Scripture, you ask, what is it there for? And it's usually looking back at the discussion before. And that's exactly what this passage is doing. It's looking back to, uh, to Ephesians 2, to the discussion of grace. It's, it's that discussion of God's grace. He's going to say we're to walk worthily, and the reason we can walk worthily is because we are the recipients of the grace of God. You see, Christianity is entirely different from all other religions. It does not begin with a set of moral demands. It is not based on performance. We cannot get God's attention by, by right or ritual. He's not impressed with our religiosity, our form. Rather, he is a seeking God who found us and who justified us by his grace totally of himself. We didn't contribute anything to it at all. Well, let's look at that in Ephesians 2, verse 5. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Therefore, and that's going back to, to what he's talked about in this, this story of grace. made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's all of God. It is the gift of God, unmerited favor, an absolute gift. We didn't deserve it, we can't work for it, we can't achieve it. Grace. Now, what Paul is saying is, he's saying, I therefore, he's pointing back and he's saying, it is after we know the story of God's grace. It is after we receive God's grace, then we can walk worthily of our calling. Without God's grace, there's not any way that we can walk in the way God wants us to walk. So the first thing, we have to be sure that we have received the grace of God. It's a therefore walk. Our being and our doing are expressions of what God has done in us 
through Jesus Christ. You see, after we have been delivered from the darkness, then and only then can we walk in the light. We can't walk in the light until we have been delivered from the darkness. It's only when we have received and responded to His love can we walk in love. It is only on the basis of His strength can we walk in victory. You see, God is the source of our walk. I, therefore, Paul is pointing back to the grace of God, and he's saying that the source of our walk is God Himself. It is not in the strength of our might. It is not in the illumination of our minds. It is not even in the mastery of our wills. It is in the grace of God. Our walk is an expression of what God has done through Christ and what God is now doing in our lives. When we walk the walk, we do it by the grace of God and according to His power. Not of ourselves. Not at all. Now he says, the prisoner of the Lord. Don't you love the attitude of the Apostle Paul? That humble spirit? I mean, we're concerned about degrees and titles and, and all kind of things that we ought not be concerned about in today's world. Paul just said, I'm so grateful to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see, some of you are afraid God might ask you to do something that's going to be hard. Because <laughs> I know when I ask you to do something, you say, I'm just hard. <laughs> I don't know if I can do anything else for God. Paul says, I'm glad to be a prisoner of Christ. That was not something he was ashamed of. He was proud of it. That was not something that he complained about. He rejoiced in it. You see, Paul was the kind of guy that that from the Philippian jail, he wrote a, a letter of joy and he basically said, I'm so happy to be in jail. Because wherever I am, the Lord is. And the Lord has just given me an opportunity to further the gospel. They're they're chaining people to me, and every time they chain a new guard to me, I just share Jesus with them. Paul, who looked beyond the circumstances to the Christ. So he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. What's your attitude about serving the Lord? You see, we ought not to ever have to beg people to serve God. They ought to be lining up to serve God. We shouldn't have to try to to shame people and embarrass them and put them on a guilt trip to get them to serve God. They ought to be willing and excited about doing something for God. You'll never touch anything any bigger than the work of God. He says, I entreat you, I plead with you, To walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What's that calling? That's the grace of God upon your life. God's called you to salvation. He's called you to service. He's called you to surrender. It's a wise walk. He says, don't walk like the the Gentiles who know not God, the pagans. Don't walk like you once walked before you received the grace of God. It is a wise walk. It is a walk of obedience. Living by the standards of God. It's a wise walk. It's a weighty walk. The opposite from fluff. It's it's heavy. It leaves an imprint. It makes an impact. When you walk for God, 
When you're walking God's way, when you're walking in God's will, you're making a difference. It leaves an impact, a footprint. Do you leave footprints for God in your home? Do you leave footprints for God at work? They know that there's a difference because God, through you, has made an impact. It's a winsome walk. How do people feel when you leave their presence? Are they glad you're gone? They say, thought he'd never leave. Or do they feel something special because it's just like Jesus had been in their presence? Because guess what? He has been. What kind of impression did you allow him to make? Because everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. And he's there to make an impact, there to make a difference, there to make an impression. He is living His life through us. We are representing Him. A winsome walk. People are to see Jesus in us. Now verse 2, he moves into the practical part of it. and The Apostle Paul has a way of becoming very practical. And he gives us the signs of a, of a worthy walk. He spells it out. You can't miss what he's saying. He says we're to walk with all humility. Now, this word humility was a word coined by the Christian faith because there was not anything like that in life. That was a, it was not a good term, that somebody who was, who was humble. And yet Jesus personified humility. The servant, the submissive servant. And Jesus said, the one who's the least will be the greatest. You see, Jesus reversed the world system. Sometimes if you wonder what's the right way, then go opposite from what the world says. Because he reversed the world system. And so this word humility then became a New Testament word. It became a biblical word because it was the only way that could describe what this thing of serving and having a submissive spirit was all about. It's not talking about a nobody. It's talking about someone who recognizes where all the power comes from. One who recognizes where all the wisdom comes from. One who recognizes who deserves the recognition. It's not a, someone who's inferior. Because you never have more strength. You never stand taller. And when you stand in Christ, you see it as a recognition of who I am in light of who Jesus Christ is. That's not pride. Because you see, we, we know that we are what we are because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Any good thing in us is because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And we see ourselves in the light of who He is. So when Paul says it's to be a walk of humility, here, listen to me, here's what he's really saying. He's saying it is to be a walk of continual 
dependence upon God. You can't do it without God. And don't you dare try. You'll make a royal mess out of it. Wait a minute, I'm too late. You've already done it too many times. You knew that, didn't you? It's so hard for us to learn that lesson, isn't it? But the, the walk with God is something you cannot do in your own strength. You'll never make it. It's a continual dependence upon God. God, I can't. You can. It's yours. It's your life. It's your situation. I'm weak, but you're strong. I can't do it in my own strength. God, it's got to be you. I'm depending upon you. With all humility. And then gentleness. What's well, a great word? Meekness. It's the twin word to humility. It's talking about strength under control. A willingness to serve. You see, Jesus was gentle, yet he was strong. You see him with a, with a towel and a basin he, as he stoops down to wash the feet of his disciples. Giving us the true definition for service. The serving of love. Submission, he who was God, he who could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, died on that cross in submission, the will of the Father. Gentleness. So in our lives, in our walk, there is to be this gentleness, this servant's attitude, this servant's and this submissive spirit. I'm glad you brought this up, because if there's anything that runs contrary to the grain in the world today, it's an attitude of submissiveness. What we experience in the world today is rebellion against all authority. Nobody will tell me what to do. And that's at the root of this whole problem we're facing in our country of turning its back on God is because we don't want any authority over our lives. And that's the opposite of biblical faith in the Christian walk. We submit to authority. We submit to, to spiritual leaders. We submit to our husband. We submit to our wife. We submit to one another. We have an attitude of submission. We had an, have an attitude of service. How may I serve you? Now that ought to be our attitude. What kind of week would this pastor have if 50 of you came to me and said, Pastor, how may I serve you this week? <laughs> but we turn that thing around, don't we? You're thinking, how may the pastor serve me this week? Pastor, what can you do for me? Will you show up when I need you then? But all of us are to have a servant's heart, and this is to be a church full of ministers. 
All of us are ministers. We have a servant's heart, and our attitude ought to be, how may I serve you? I'm just happy to do it. You say, preacher, I do not like this sermon. Well, I'm sorry. I planned on it. But the next word is hard for me as it is for you. Patience. And I kid a lot about my lack of patience, and yet my wife gets on to me because she declares that I'm the most patient person she's ever known. And I am in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm patient in relationships. I'm very patient with hurting people. See, that's long-tempered. I'm long-tempered. I don't get angry. I, uh, my family's never heard me get mad and lash out ever. I've gotten upset. I've gotten frustrated. I've pouted a few times, kicked the wall when nobody was looking. Or not, I'm just kidding. I had kicked the wall. <laughs> When I was a kid, I used to butt my head against the wall, though, and that's uh, some of you are not surprised that I did that. I know, and you think, that's why I act the way I act today. Well, that's your problem. That's not my problem. But I'm extremely patient. But when it comes to circumstances that are ridiculous, you don't think I'm going to talk about Sears again tonight, do you? <laughs> I talked about Sears in the early service this morning. And it just blew the people's mind that I, I hit them twice in a row. But how many of you were in the early service? Let me see your hand. All right. Uh, I, I, I shared an experience in the, it, of Sears like when I tried to make a place an order. And uh, it was just a typical Sears experience. And, uh, but anyway, I was very impatient in that situation. But we as Christians are to to learn to be patient in relationships and in circumstances. And I'm becoming more patient. Maybe it's just I'm getting tired. I don't know. But I, I think I'm becoming more patient. I want to become more patient. i tell you one thing. The more you hurt, the more patient you are with hurting people. And maybe the more circumstances that go crazy, the more patient you are in circumstances, long-suffering. That's the word for circumstances. So Paul says our walk is to involve patience. Then he says we're to show forbearance to one another in love. This is a great word. It literally means to throw a blanket over sin. It means that you are to forbear when someone near you, when someone messes up, when someone acts differently from how you expect them to act. It is putting up with a lot of garbage because it's what Jesus would do and it's what He would have you to do. And it's being a witness. Enduring putting up with all kinds of things from people because God is not through with those people. Maybe they're not where you are. 
Maybe they've not experienced the victory that you've experienced in your life. It's amazing how we get victory in one of our life, and we want everybody to get that same victory instantly. And we also sometimes want to demand instant maturity, and there's no such thing. You see, one, one thing that, that we need to understand is that in this congregation tonight, every one of us is at a different place in our spiritual walk. We're not nearly all the same. We're not the same level. We're not the same place. And God works with every one of us in different ways. So we are to be patient with one another, not playing God and not playing Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Paul would say, be forgiving, be tenderhearted, be long-suffering, be kind, be gentle. Show forbearance in love. And I don't know of a place better to show forbearance in love than with your own family and in your own home and your marriage, with your wife, your husband. Be forbearing. With your friends, be forbearing. With God's people, be forbearing. Because if you can ever understand that no matter what you have to put up with from somebody else, God has had to put up with a whole lot more from you. And He extended to you forbearing love. And He says, I'll give you the strength to extend it to others. We're to walk in forbearing love. And this word love really, it's it's an umbrella. It, it, It brings in all of these. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. All are expressions of love. Because love is the true identifying mark of the Christian. See, the New Testament says, if you want to know if you really know God, there will be agape love expressed in your life. If it's not expressed, you don't know God. And agape love is unselfish, and it's other person-centered. It's not self-centered. It's putting the other person first. And only with God's power can you love like that. See, agape love is loving somebody when they don't deserve it. Loving somebody when they act the opposite of how you think they ought to act. Yet you love them. That's the identifying mark. You will know, you know that they're Christians by their love. There's one thing that's consistent about Christians. One thing that identifies them, that marks them. They all have this special, unusual, Supernatural, extraordinary kind of love. Agape. My friend, that kind of love is foreign to this world, and when you love like that, it makes an impact upon the world because they don't understand it. Then he says we're to preserve peace. Now, He's, he's going to talk about unity. We're to preserve the unity. We don't create the unity. We preserve the unity. What brings the unity? Humility, patience, forbearance, gentleness. 
You say, what will bring unity to a church? Gentleness, forbearance, patience. See, that's how we are to live. That's, those are to be the attributes of our lives. We are to express ourselves in these ways. And when we do, when we're humble, when we have a servant's heart, when we're gentle and kind and forbearing and loving, then there is peace, harmony, unity. Do you know what happens when there is disunity in the church? It's always because somebody is not walking with God. That's the only place it can come from. You see, unity, listen to me, unity is wanting God's way. Disunity is wanting my way. Hello? Unity is wanting God's way. When we as a congregation, as a people, when we only want God's way and God's will, there will be peace and harmony and joy. But when we each as individuals want our own way, we got disunity and we got a mess. And it's easy for a church to get into those kind of situations. And they did it in the New Testament and they've been doing it ever since. Most church problems are a result of somebody not walking with God. Disunity is wanting my way regardless. How can you walk this way? How can you live this kind of life? I think the key is to absorb the Word of God and apply the Word of God in your life and depend upon the Holy Spirit to empower you and to mature you, and to help you be patient, to be gentle, to be forbearing, to be loving, all the time, with everyone. You say, you mean I've got to love those people that I don't even like? Well, they're not really any exceptions. And you know what I've found in life? The people who act the ugliest need love the most. They're screaming for somebody to love them. People who many times are pushing you away are really saying, please come in and care. So we are to be loving in all our relationships. Am I always loving? No. I said that before you could. Are you always loving? But you need to be and I need to be. And that's what we're to work on continuously because we can't do it unless we depend upon God to help us. We're talking about supernatural qualities. We're talking about the unusual. We're talking about things that are not of this world. We're talking about things that cannot be counterfeited. Only God can make you patient. In the sense this word is talking about patience. Only God can make you gentle in the sense this word is talking about being gentle. Only God can make you forbearing in the sense the word is talking about forbearance. You'll never be that on your own and nobody can ever make you that way. But God can give you the strength 
That's why Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ. On the basis of that passage, let me just make some comments about some steps for you in 1993. Some suggestions. If you want to walk with God. Number one is close the door on 1992. I don't know about you, but that makes me almost want to shout. I'm so glad this past year is over. It wasn't a real good year for me in a lot of ways. But then that's by looking at circumstances. If I focus on God, it was a wonderful year. He was better to me than I deserved. And yet the healthiest thing that I can do now is close the door on 92 and move forward in 1993. If there are things that that need to be corrected, if there are sins that need to be confessed and forgiveness claimed, then do it. And then close the door and move on. This is a new day. It's a new year. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. Look in verse uh, 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. See, the Lord talks about don't let one day end with, with business that's not taken care of. You're to get things settled. Certainly he means that for a year. Close the books on that year. Get it all settled. Start over. Then in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Close the door on all of it. Deal with it. Confess it. Turn from it. Close the door. The second thing is to call on God daily in prayer, in praise, in a quiet time. And let me just give you a simple suggestion. I've not always done this, but I, I've had a better year when I, when I did it. Adopt a book. A book of the Bible. Maybe it's the book of Philippians. Maybe it's the book of James. Maybe it's the book of Timothy. Adopt a book for the year and let that be your book that God speaks to you through that book and read it many times throughout the year. And claim a verse as your verse. That this is your verse for 1993 and you're going to ask God to fulfill that verse in your life. I tell you, if you want to claim a good verse out of the book of Ephesians, this 32nd verse of chapter 4 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's a great verse to claim. But claim a verse. Adopt a book. And let God continuously speak to you through His Word in 1993. God speaks primarily through His Word. Thirdly, cease all complaining and criticizing. Look at verse uh, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. He says, don't let anything come out of your mouth, but that it's uplifting, it's affirming. It gives grace to those who hear it. It's a blessing to those who hear it. It's a help to those who hear it. Would that cut out some of your conversation? 
Some of you lose most of your vocabulary when you, if you, if you live by that. But we're to cease all complaining and criticizing. I don't think we ever accomplish anything when we complain or when we criticize. And yet, it's a trap that we fall in to if we're not careful. Wouldn't it be a better 1993 if we just said, I, I refuse to complain and to criticize? And then number four, cultivate intimacy in relationships. How many times have you heard me say that life is what? Faith, family, and friends. And I'm going to say it until all of you can say it out loud with enthusiasm with me. And that may take 35 years. But that's what life is. And that involves intimacy. Listen to me, folks. Most of what you're involved in doesn't, as we used to say in Alabama, that mount a hill of beans. It's garbage. Worthless. The only thing that matters in life are relationships. If you want to work on something that's profitable, work on your relationship with the Lord Jesus, that it's an intimate relationship that you get to know Jesus, Paul, so that I may know Him better. Not that I may serve Him more, that I may know Him better. An intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus, your Heavenly Father, or an intimate relationship with your wife, with your husband, an intimate relationship with your children, an intimate relationship with your friends, so that all your conversation is not about politics and the weather and the saints and the cowboys. But it's about what life is really about. Open and honest in an environment, an atmosphere of safety and trust and love. So that you have people around you who love you just as you are and accept you just as you are with all your faults and idiosyncrasies, we all have them. You see, if you miss out on intimate relationships, you miss out on what life is all about. And nothing happens automatically when it comes to building relationships. You work at it. And it's a give. It's a, a willingness, it's an openness, it's a transparency, it's something that you work at. It's something that you have to want. It's the greatest thing you can have in this life. And I say this to men because men suffer here more than anybody else because only 10% of men have a close friend. We don't want to be intimate with anybody because we don't want to be honest with anybody. And yet we desperately need intimate relationships. We need friends. We need someone with whom we can be open and honest and transparent. And, so, and that person who will not put us down or reject us, but will love us even more. 
You know what's really great in life is to be in the kind of relationship with somebody that the more you find out about them, it doesn't matter whether it's bad or good, you love them more. That's great. How many relationships do you have like that? But the more you know them, the more you love them. And find in them the unique person that they really are. Then fifthly, choose joy. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy or you can choose to be unhappy in 1993. And I'm choosing to be happy. Now, let me tell you a little trick. It won't last. You've got to keep on choosing to be happy. When you get in a slump, you've got to find out a way to unslump yourself. And you've got to do a lot of self-talk based on biblical truths. You've got all the negative garbage that's coming into your minds and all that Satan hurls at you. You've got to reject that heresy and put in God's truth. And on the basis of God's truth, regardless of circumstances, you can be happy on the inside. That's what Paul said. Paul said, rejoice. And then it's almost like he said, he said, I want you to rejoice. And then he's almost like, now let me think, is there any time, is there any occasion when you would not rejoice? He says, no, there's really not. He says, again, after thinking about it, again, I say, rejoice. That in all things, we can find good. In this experience with my dad that I shared this morning, I could spend the next 30 minutes and tell you the good things that have come out of the bad things and the blessings that God has sent our way, the serendipities, the surprises, and to see how God was working all along in the equation when we didn't know it. See, I'm... uh, Start to tell you how old that I am, but uh, it's going to, I mean, you, you know how old I am, and it's, it's it, the fact that this next year I'll be 50 is a frightening thought. But one thing, I love old people a lot more now. <laughs> but I left home at, right out of high school packed my things in an automobile, went to college over in Alabama, and then came all the way out to Texas. And from the time I left home in high school, I only made it home once a year to see my folks. I couldn't afford to come home any more than that. One Christmas, I couldn't, uh, I didn't have the money to come home. But usually at Christmas time, I would come home. One year, I didn't have any money to buy presents, and I came home as the present. (laughs) Fortunately, they accepted it. (laughs) And then I went into a traveling ministry where I traveled across America. And so all of my life in ministry the last 30 years, I've never been near my parents, and I've never been able to go home but once or twice a year. 
Finally, they, they moved to South Carolina where I live. And then we moved to Bossier City. But then God had a way of seeing in advance what was going to happen. And my parents moved to Dallas. My sister's in Dallas, lives just a few streets from my folks. And my brother Charles, who's in New Mexico, but who flies through Dallas about once a week. And then we're 185 miles away. And all the, the times that I've gotten to spend with my dad this past year, I would not have had those opportunities had he not moved to Texas. He didn't want to come to Texas. He didn't like Texas. And when he got here, he didn't like it. When he got to Texas, I mean, he didn't like anything about it. He didn't like, he still he wouldn't get on the freeways. Even now when, when we take him to the hospital, he doesn't want you to drive on the freeway. He thinks that's, uh, you know, that's taking too many risks. He just never liked to fly an airplane. He, he believes that uh, you just, you know, the Lord says, and lo, I'm with you always. Not, he doesn't make any promises when you get up there. But they live right near a wonderful hospital and a cancer center. And, and when you see all the things that have happened that God knew in advance everything that was going to happen, and He did the very best possible thing by my folks. The only part that I don't understand now is the suffering. And I may or may not ever understand it. I just have to trust God at this point that He is in charge and He knows what's best. But you see, God is always working on all sides of the equation. And He's working for our good, not to burn us, but to bless us. Not necessarily interested in our convenience, but in our conformity. He doesn't necessarily want us to be comfortable, but He wants us to be conformed to His image. And one day we will be as He is. Choose joy. In the midst of all circumstances, choose joy. See, defeat is temporary. See, barriers as blessings. And know that in, regardless of what's happening, there's joy in the heart of peace in the soul, because God is alive in you forever. And you are a part of His perfect plan. And He's committed to you for eternity. And everything that God does, He does it best. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for how it speaks to our hearts, sometimes to convict, sometimes to comfort, but always to help. Tonight has been a helpful word, and at the same time, it's convicted us about our own personal walk. Thank you that we've got a chance to try it again. We've got a new week. We've got a new year. We hope you were blessed by our program today. 
If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.